This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Uh, today we're here with Thomas Harris, who's a bit too far. Come on in a little closer, my friend. There you go. Uh, there we Now we're talking. There All we right. Go. There we go. Anyway, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Well, you are with a group called the First Liberal Cafe. Yep. And you said that there's something special about what you want to do. What is it that you want to do? We are a small startup political media shop out of Minneapolis. Okay. But we've come up with a very, very large political strategy media idea okay. for 2024. And that idea is? I was reading about Samuel Adams uh-huh. and how he energized Thomas Paine, Paul Revere, how they went around in the revolutionary period and got all the writers, all, mm-hmm. the, all the liberal writers, the anti-tyrannists, so right. to speak, to band together to write to all the other patriots and get them fired up. Okay to throw off the chains of tyranny of the British Empire. And you came up with the Liberal Cafe. <laughs> and and let, let, me, let me just... Sure. Um, look, liberals are, are just what... Liberals, progressives, however you want to call progressives, we always talk about gathering cats because it is so hard to get all these people Absolutely. with diverse views together on a platform. So I am with you on the idea that we need to somehow start learning about messaging better and putting our biases apart for a common good. So what's that common good that you want us to for, do? For us, it started out as a compilation book concept right. to do the scourge of republicanism, right? which is basically a rebranding, redefining, and debranding of republicanism. Right. It's no longer republicanism as it started this country. Right. It's now a tyrannical, autocratic, all the money, more money than God, Plus, right. they think they're God. All that sort of stuff is now doing more damage to the economy right. and to the country than ever before. True. So, we have all these writers mm-hmm. that write for New Republic, that you, that write for Daily, Daily Cost, Post, MSNBC, others, yeah. and some. But the sl- slice of our audience together is still right. minimal compared to Fox News right. and the 400 conservative talk shows right. out there. So, how do we compete? Unless we cooperatively do something on one channel, one site, at least for the campaign, well, how do we compete? How well, do we how do we get our message out right to the broad public? You're in the right place to try to, to, to foment that. How do we compete? Yeah. How, what, what's your idea? 
to do a cooperative media campaign. And how do we, uh, how two, do we do two that? Two things. One, I think we need to write together. Okay. What are the damages? What are the myths? What are the lies? And we all have seen a million things Trump's done and the Republicans have done. Right. But this it's too large. Right. We need to hone in on, on the particular damages, the particular subjects that resonate with people and the right. voters. What has the damage been to them personally? Right. What is it? They blame the government. They blame immigrants. They blame black people. They blame everybody right. else for their problems. Right. What is really their problem? Republicanism. Right. The power of money that is really keeping them from getting to where they want so to again, go. So again, going back to your subject at hand, uh, what are you going to bring to the table? I think I, I think you have you have some beautiful literature here. Thank you. You know. Um, now, how are you going to affect that? How are you going to... I, are you, I'm a political strategist, so I've yeah. done a political strategy memo, and I'm going to get it out to every quote-unquote liberal media organization out there. Right. And all the writers that I can reach. There's mm -hmm. about a thousand active, working, mm -hmm. paid liberal media writers. They don't always like to be called liberal media right, people, right. but they are, in fact, they're media people first, they're news people first, and then they're liberal. I'm going to try and convince them that we need to work together on one project mm -hmm. to hone in on that message. Excellent. After we get that message out there and try and educate, we're not trying to educate all American people. We're trying right. to get to 10% of the independents, the disengaged, the people that aren't listening. Right. We need to talk to them, educate them about the myths, the lies, the damage that it caused. And after a few months of that, as we get into 2024, I think we will coalesce on the top five, 10 of the messages that are going to work. Now, how are you uh, giving your, how are you going to, like, you don't have a problem getting somebody like me involved in a cooperative that you right. want to establish of that nature. Um, but I can tell you, dealing with a lot of progressive uh, writers, a lot of progressive media folks, one of our biggest problems is, uh, is not putting a little bit behind of our own uh, turf. turf. <laughs> uh, in my case, my I, I believe my turf is everybody's turf. Right. That's how I all do my boats media. rise together. All right. So my media, I feel like all are a part of it. So I I'm all engaging. Right. My question to you is, how are you going to get a lot of progressives who tend to be territorial too often? onto that platform. All I can do is jam. All I can do is try. I, all well, I can in the do right is, place. All I can do is convince. Yeah, I've met a number of them here. Right. And most of them have been incredibly receptive. Will they get on board? I don't know. Well, I, mean, I, I think I think having somebody like you, because uh, to put it bluntly, you were good and pushy when you came here and said, this is what, that, what we need to do. And I think that's important. Yep. You believe yep. in your message. <laughs> I, I do. One of the projects within this, Biden's a good man. Yeah, I, I, I think he's more liberal than what he would like right. to be out in public. Well, I think he was made more liberal than I think. Perhaps, I think yeah. it's, a, it's a difference between saying he's liberal. He's a neoliberal. He's been that pushed. I think became absolutely, uh, absolutely. pushed to a liberal. Yeah. But the reality is he's not a great orator. He's right. not a great messenger. He's not an orator at all. <laughs> right. right. Uh, God, could we bring Barack yes. back? Could we yes. please bring back? Yeah. We need to find another Barack. Yeah. Now, how do we do that? Are we going to let the political establishment decide who it's going to be? We have a lot of barracks out there. We have a lot of barracks out there. I mean, yes. I, I'll put it bluntly. I don't mayor of Chicago is amazing. Easy. The, the new mayor of Chicago is amazing. Even the governor of California is not only an amazing speaker, but he's an amazing tactician. I don't part. I mean, I think he's still a neoliberal, right. but I mean, he is good at what he does. Absolutely. We need a star. Exactly. Good, better, and different. We yeah, need exactly. a national spokesperson, and maybe right. it's two or three. Yeah. So one of our strategies with the media, with the writers, let's do a national vote. 
right. for who that national spokesperson should be. Why can't we? Well, I mean, why can't we determine and that? Again, and again, again, if you like the American idolization agree. of politics, why can't we just vote for it? If you are, uh, if you, if uh, again, I think I had a friend uh, that she had an organization, and she always talks about herding the cats. Uh, I have my work to do. Rick Smith has his work to do. Many of us in the liberal media, progressive media, have our work to do. Right. Having somebody out there that's herding the cat. I think it's important. And if, I hope if so. Thomas Harris become the, the cat herder, I'm all in it for you, and I would be here at your service. I so, was born uh, and raised on a farm. I herded chickens. It's just yeah. as bad or worse than cats. There you go, bro. So I tell you what, give me a closing statement, and then let's let's get out of here. It's It's got to happen. We don't have any choice for 2024. We have to maximize what we're doing. And cooperative media is the only way to maximize what we're doing, to compete. Cooperative, anything is yeah. always good. Thank you so thank kindly. Thank you very, very much. Was, I'm going to stay in touch with you. Thank Absolutely. you very, very much. Thank you so kindly. You're welcome. Reverend Mark Thompson, hey, we meet again. Thank you know, you I, I've been telling folks it's been a year, but it's actually not quite a year since the last time we spoke because the last time it was in August. Now okay. it is in. Was it August? In, okay. Yeah, now it's in that. July. But anyhow, in uh, in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. Now, how are you doing? Uh, what what what's new? I tell you what. I was watching some of the work that you've been doing with uh, the, the brothers in North Carolina. You are right there in the mix. In Tennessee. In ten Tennessee. I'm sorry, in Tennessee. In Tennessee. Tell me about your thoughts about that entire fiasco. Well, uh, I, I've, I'm just get meeting yeah. and getting to know Justin Pearson. Right. I've known Justin Jones ever since he was a young man. He, he went to Fisk and he... Um, uh, attends the, my childhood church right. in Nashville, um, the church I was actually raised in. So we we oh, so you been, grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in Nashville. I grew up okay. in Nashville originally, and um, Nashville. I left Nashville forty years ago. It's changed a lot right. since I left. Obviously, for the good, I hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it, it's Some a big city good, now. Yeah. It's gentrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, the same things that are happening. So, I mean, it's good that Nashville's growing, but it's right. not necessarily growing. For people like us, right? That—that's the problem. Exactly mean, but that's yeah. a whole another conversation. And that's why those brothers are there doing what they're doing. So Justin is a um, um, a very influential. Hey man, what's going on? I need to see you. That's Uncle Bobby. You know what it is, right? Yeah. You know what it is, right? No, I don't. That's Oscar Grant's uncle. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's okay, Uncle Bobby. Great. Well, uh, excellent. Yeah. So. Um, um, Justin is is a very capable young man. Mm -hmm. He's always been successful. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's one of the work he's done. I mean, he's I, I, he may... I mean, all young people need mentoring. Hell, right. You and I need can still. Win. Okay, please, new man. Yeah. You and I um, can't ever get too old to be mentored by exactly. an elder. Right. But, um, but this it, on it, at first glance, it didn't look that bad or that complicated. Mm -hmm. I got a call from, and and Justin's also in formation for the ministry. I got 
a call from Reverend Stephen Green, who lives in New York where I live, who's also close Justin. He said, he went down to check on her. He said, man, you need to get down here. Call, he said, Reverend Mark, you need to get down here. I said, for what? This is real, man. They're going to expel him. Oh, so you and, didn't think they were going to really go through with it? Well, I mean, it, it was being discussed. We didn't, I just didn't know, you know. And I don't think any of us really knew. So he calls me. He says, you need to get down here. I said, really? He said, yeah, this is serious. So I jumped on a plane, went to Nashville, <laughs> and was right, before I knew it, was right smack in the middle of it all. Um, and it was, it was something. Right. Um, what they did on the eve of Good Friday. Right. When you think about, you know, Good Friday, they... Uh, Prosecuted and persecuted three people. They did the same thing in Nashville on Good Friday. Right. Uh, and I, I think what ended up happening was, I think even the Republicans did not expect the reaction that the world. But would you know, have. They, they, they. I mean, I, I don't know if they're blind, um, Rev, because no, you know what it is. I'm telling you what it is. Yeah. I'm to you right now. Yeah. All these these little Republicans, even at the state level, they right. think they baby Trumps. Right. Trump does anything and he's like, oh, and everybody covers it and everybody right. blows it up and everybody justifies it. Right. They think they're him. That's right. literally what it is. So they think, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and I'm going to be like Trump. Right. It doesn't work that way. No, I mean, there's only one Trump and he's only one Trump because of the base he got. But, you know, I think uh, it was great to see how all of you coalesced around. Oh, yeah this guy because what it showed was a solidarity that built itself i don't know you know a nuclear fission reaction it starts slowly and then it it, it expands that's what we got out of that and what what they didn't realize is they 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 didn't just expand the movement they created a new movement you know and the new this new movement that i'm talking about is an it's a new spineful movement the amount of folks that really got involved and they created two heroes well but let me tell you what else happened too and i don't want to take anything away from representative gloria johnson either yeah because she is very much on point too right um and i think has been somewhat of a mentor to these young men gloria's right. a little bit older gloria's great right she's very clear um but not only did that happen um the um 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 the issue of gun violence mm. is the issue, right? And so what you what you saw what you saw was a diversity, right? So you know Tennessee is a red state now. Right. I grew up in Tennessee, so you you old enough to remember when Tennessee uh, was blue. Yes, Al yes. Gore was from yes, Tennessee. He was from Tennessee. It used to be a Democrat. That's what you So yeah. it's totally flipped. Okay, to see that level of diversity. White folk, black folk, mm -hmm. all kind of people around the issue of gun violence. One, two, these were students. Mm -hmm. So you had the resurrection of the Nashville student movement right. from, from 1960. So here, uh, uh, the Nashville student movement um, began in uh, on the campus of Fisk University mm -hmm. in Tennessee State, Meharry, American Baptist Colleges, the four HBCUs. And now you had another student movement coming out of this same area mm -hmm. to deal with the issue of gun violence. And I, I think it backfired. Now the governor is going to have to have a special session next month on gun violence in, ten, in the state of Tennessee because of the, because of what happened. Yes. So you know, I, I think that's the issue, and it's an issue that, that overlaps everyone. There's no one who has not been affected by gun violence. Mm -hmm. So um, this is very important. This is very important, and and we ought to continue to support it. Well, I, I was I was I was like very glad to see that uh, they got the support. 
that they that they needed. Hey, I'm doing an interview. I'm just Liz Wednesday, no, I, y'all. Lynn, we all Lynn's, over at, at Berto's I'll piece. clean this up. We, yeah, she came and interrupted her. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Uh, no, 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 no. You did great. We, I need to speak to you. When are when am I going to see you? And also the other person that you got to bring with you. There. Oh, I didn't see you. We'll we'll talk to you. You you. Have, this is the only interview I'm going to have to edit because of our beautiful. Why edit? Late, huh? Do it in real time. He ain't got to edit. Liz Wednesday, right. y'all. Saying hello all right. to us. I won't edit it. Oh, yeah. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Hi, everybody. There you go. I'm ruining everything, so no, I guess not never. to edit it. Never She's that. making never it that. better. She's never making that. it better. Never He's that. making a plane, I'm making yeah. it better. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. You too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it turns out that um, I think what happened, you're right. It was a democratic state. It, it flipped, and now the rebirth has begun. Right. And, and it also shows what happens when the Democrats don't have a 50 state strategy and they neglect what they had and what they could have done. Talk about that. That is so right. Yeah. Well, we were just talking with uh, Maurice Mitchell, the Working Families Party, about, you know, remember the DLC? Yes. I mean, that's when all the stuff started the going DLC downhill. The DLC was, was a fraud. It was, yeah. And, 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 but it, it wasn't a fraud in terms of winning uh, support for Republicans. Right. And, oh. and, and assimilating into Republicanism. Yes, yes, um, yes. So, and I, I think we're still smarting from that. Um, and, but I think now we're at a place of rebuild. Uh, a, a place of people saying no more. We're we not going to be duped by that anymore. Mm -hmm. And the lines are not... So you have something like the DOC, the lines are blurred. Right. You need straight, clear lines. This right. is what we're for. That's what these no-good son-of-a-guns over here right. are for. And now we know what those clear lines are. And so it's a very different situation. Yeah, well, well, that is great. But anyway, let's talk a little bit about you. What's What's been happening as far as... Uh, what are your plans on... Uh, in your activism, what are you doing? Well, you know, still doing all the work I can to uh, confront and end police violence. Mm -hmm. um, Where are you working out of? Well, airports. <laughs> I'm never home. You're right. Um, um, and just recently did a lot of work in Akron, Ohio, around the Jalen Walker case, shot mm -hmm. 47 times yes. by the police. So we try to go and respond where I'm called to go and uh, respond. Uh, still doing my show. Um, and that's what, you know, my ministry has always been, public ministry. Mm -hmm. And um, it's going to keep that going. Well, I, I think that's a great job. Give me a closer. Well, brother, congratulations to you. Uh, you've always, you know, been stalwart and, you know, helped to share issues. And we're in a critical moment. Yes. Because all media is in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Entertainment industry is now shutting down. And I'm proud of them. I support mm -hmm. SAG after strike, the Screenwriters Guild strike. Um, but as all these other media are beginning to consolidate and isolate and move more conservative, we need to continue to do the type of things we do to provide that alternative. And that's what you're doing. And we're all thankful for that. Let, let me tell you something, Mark. I know you have another place to go and take care of these ladies, but I want to I say one thing real quickly. You notice that now that AI may affect a particular group, how it's huge huge problems when we have other issues that affect certain other groups it's usually well technology is just a change yeah no AI is dangerous yeah and I'll be honest with you I don't see how even those who supporting it can can think it's viable somebody called me and said have you seen AI it's the best thing and I said instead of writing anything I said well tell them to write something that's said, I go back and read that yeah that's not nothing that's not nothing that you can pass off we just lost affirmative action at the college level but, I mean, but what AI is also doing, it is now 
going to muddy the waters whenever they get an essay mm-hmm. from a student on application. They got a question whether so it, it just it, it really it, it's, it's not a good thing. You're absolutely right in in, in that regards. I, I, I'm going to send you a clip that I did this morning on my KPFT 90.1 show where I want to use AI. Listen, hear, hear me out before you. I want to use sure. AI as the thing that's going to reduce workload because. Let me see how to put this right, because I'd like you to cover these things as well. I want it to be the equalizer. In other words, AI is taking advantage of all our composite knowledge. Yeah. And in taking care of all our composite knowledge, we should all benefit from it, That's which true. would require I agree. regulations, laws. Of course, I agree. I agree. But anyway, look, Mark, hey, or rather, Reverend Mark Thompson, it's <laughs> always a pleasure to talk Thank to you, you Thank whenever you, I see you, my brother. Thank you, brother. Good you to see you, man. Mark. You keep up the good work. Politics too, done right, y'all. We're going to do sir. politics right. We got to get it done right. I'm here with Elizabeth Strader, thank you, with United Forum Workers. How are you doing, I'm Elizabeth? doing great. I'm doing great. Look, tell me first of all, who, what is United Farm Workers? I know it's a union, but tell me more about it. That's right. United Farm Workers is the, the largest and oldest uh, labor union representing farm workers in mm-hmm. the United States. Uh, a lot of people might drive down a street named after Cesar Chavez, which mm-hmm. is one of our founders, uh, one of our co-founders, with along with Larry Eklong and Dolores Huerta and others, but it's a it's a it's a trade union, but it's also a uh, it's it's also representing of the farm worker movement and the movement towards food justice in this country. What exactly does food justice mean? You know, I, I tell you something that 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 I find we use a lot of those words, right? But what happens is a whole lot of the rank and file folks, including some of the farm workers, when we're talking about justice and all of that. Mm-hmm. They don't quite know what does that mean to me? What does that mean to a farm worker? So for us, we see our mission in, in the position of food justice and really, you know, we live in a time where there's a lot of people that think they know which, you know, which uh, vegetable they should eat depending mm-hmm. on what their blood type is. So right. in some ways, we have a very intimate relationship with food in this country. Right. But at the same time, we're really removed from the work that it takes uh, to put that food on your plate, whether that's that's growing it, harvesting it, packing it, processing it, um, whether it's the grocery store clerk that uh, you know that sells it to you, or whether it's you know the cooks in the in the back of the house in the kitchen that serve it to you at the restaurant. So for us, food justice is is you know a big part of it is making the food system fairer in the United States. We're lucky here in this country because we have, you know, overwhelmingly most of the food that we eat is grown here. So, you know, when we do have that, it's, it's such a, it's a, such a place of security to have a domestic food supply. And yet the people that are growing that food are overwhelmingly likely to be immigrants are overwhelmingly likely to live below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. Their very life expectancies are shorter and they make up a disproportionate you know, amount of, of people in this country that are undocumented. So they're, they're really rife for labor exploitation. But in addition, back in the 30s, 1930s, when our country set out some basic labor laws, the National Labor Relations Act, the Fair Labor Standards Act, talking about things like minimum wage, mm-hmm. farm workers were excluded from that law and they remain, they remain excluded today. So, you know, in a lot of ways, farm workers are really stuck in the Jim Crow era because those basic labor laws that the rest of the country takes for granted, they excluded workers like domestic workers and farm workers because Southern congressmen did not want to give black workers the same protections that they were giving to the rest of the workers. So that's it's really rooted I know, in slavery. I, okay, I, I know they, they, they I, I bet when the law was written, they, they didn't quite say 
they're doing it this way to exclude black workers or anything. What? what in 1938, they might have said that. Right, but what's they, the premise now for that? So the premise now for that is that's how it's always been. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, you know, we really do have that, like so many things in this country, we have that historic shadow of our really racist uh, foundings, Past, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, for us, state by state, we try to make the, the inroads where we can. But, you know, certainly at the federal level, there's a real moral question to be asked. Why are farm workers, why are domestic workers still excluded from these really basic labor protections. So again, your your organization is more than farm workers. Is it does it cover domestics as well? Or? No, we 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 focus on United Farm Workers. There are other organizations that work with domestic workers. When I say domestic workers, I'm talking about living caregivers, home right. health care, uh, nannies, things like that. Still, you know, work that is 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 undervalued and excluded from some of these basic protections. Right. Now let let's go back to the farm worker now. Um, because you, you talk about the American population having these great foods, fairly inexpensive, mm -hmm. and at the same time, the, the back-breaking work, many of it I've seen on your website, mm -hmm. the hard work to produce this, uh, I don't think they know too much about it. So uh, what's going to bring the awareness to the body politic that, uh, it, in effect, just maybe we should pay a few more cents for our vegetables and fruits, etc., so that these people can get uh, not a fair wage, but a living mm -hmm. wage. That's right. So one thing that we do with our social media, and you'll find us on Twitter and Instagram, our, our, our handle is at UFW Updates. Mm -hmm. um, and then on Facebook, United Farm Workers. And then of course we're on five mm -hmm. other apps now as well. But United Farm Workers on social media, we make a point of every single day, you come to our social media feed and you will see the faces and the skilled work and the working conditions, you know, and, and learn the names of the people, the men and women and children mm -hmm. who are harvesting the food that the rest of us, yeah. yeah. And I say children specifically because one of those things in those basic labor laws that we were just talking about mm -hmm. was child labor. And in the United States, it is perfectly legal for a 12-year-old to be harvesting tobacco that's neurotoxic. Ooh. It's That's right. I didn't know that. Farm workers are excluded from child labor laws. So child labor laws as well. That's right. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's perfectly legal in, in you know, in the United States for a 12-year-old, you know, to, to harvest tobacco, for example, which is a neurotoxin. It's, right. it's toxic to the brain. It's readily absorbed through the skin. Right. It's perfectly legal for a 12-year-old to harvest it. They just can't sell, buy it until buy they're 21. They can't smoke it, right. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. So, you know, and, and we do see a lot of child labor. And, you know, around the child labor laws, it, it is, it is you know, really startling to people to find out that child labor laws exclude farm workers. But, you know, for us, sometimes we have to have a tougher conversation around whether or not we talk about the laws that make it legal for children to work until we talk about the system that makes it necessary for children to work. So this is a situation exactly. of economic desperation for mm -hmm. their families because farm workers are living so far below the poverty line. Right, right. That, that is shameful. And so what what is this what will your movement if you will do how can we because i mean this has been going on for decades now that's right, right? almost 100 and, years and if it's going on for 100 years what is what are the tactics that need to be changed so that we can actually see 
some results going forward. Yeah. Well, for us, one one big thing for farm workers to um, you know to make some progress, which has always been an uphill battle, mm -hmm. is that that we do want to see you know since a disproportionate number of farm workers are undocumented right now, we do want to see a path towards citizenship for these workers that are already here, have been in this country for 20 or 30 years, mm -hmm. you know, feeding the country and they have no legal path forward. Right. So for us, you know, a, an empowered worker is not a worker, you know, who's afraid to speak up because of their documentation status. Mm -hmm. Obviously for us, you know, and I think many people agree with me, there's no worker in this country that doesn't need the protection of a union and a collective bargaining agreement. I agree with that one. In the vast majority of states, farm workers have no legal right to, to a right. union at all. It is not a protected activity. There's right. no legal mechanism to compel the employer to to recognize the union. So, you know, we've been moving heaven and earth in California to increase uh, you know, the rights of farm workers to, to form their union, to join a union, and to collectively bargain. We're working on it in other states. We're testing out a new law in New York right now. Just, you know, just had, you know, a, what a is piece. The issue because they're undocumented? No, documentation status doesn't matter. Farm, so when we talked about, you know, the minimum wage, the overtime, you know, mm -hmm. farm workers are exempt from overtime laws. Farm oh. workers are exempt from child labor laws. Farm workers are also exempt from NLRA. So that's the National Labor Relations Act. Right. So there is no NLRA. B, no National Labor Relations Board to compel an employer to recognize a union or to negotiate with the union for farm workers. This is slave labor. It's, it's, well, at the end of the day, they aren't owned. They go home That's to their own houses yeah. and they have personal agencies and their children aren't owned. Right. But, um, you know, for many farm workers, they're a sacrificial generation it's because they are obvious. here yeah. to strive their entire lives with the intention that their children will have better than they did. I mean, uh, it, it, I, I, I'm listening to this and I thought I knew quite a bit of this stuff and uh, and it's sort of painful to hear that uh, yeah. they're going through what what they're going through specifically. So with all these, th these are slow processes. How do these farmers, you know, um, you know, there's somebody that would tell you, I grew up, I didn't really know I was poor because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. uh, do you find that the reason they take or they accept the condition is that maybe they hadn't known any better? I, or is that not the case? I, I don't think it's the case. I think for a lot of farm workers in the United States, at this point, the demographics have shift, mm -hmm. shifted and they are increasingly um, immigrants. And so these are folks that have immigrated into this country knowing that they would always be at the bottom rung with the intention that their children we'll will have opportunities mm -hmm. beyond them. And we, and we find that to be true every day. Right. No, are they, or, or, or is that being realized for their kids? Or oh, the kids? so and we know so many, you know, perfect examples. But yeah, if you look at the trajectory right. of the kids, you know, that grow up in these really tough conditions, they living in migrant camps. You know, they 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 start working themselves in the field. But when they graduate from right. high school, they're more likely to, you know, to 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 not have, you know, interactions with the law enforcement agencies. They're overwhelmingly likely to finish a college degree, and you know, you really do see that generational ascendance. But it shouldn't have to. Take Take a lost no, generation no, for no. a family to be able, you know, to thrive. Hey, look, I, I tell you what, I think that you, what you guys are doing is good work, and I think it's important work. Uh, what would you like to tell the audience as as a closure? What what can they do, or what do they need to know? Well, I think that next time that you open the refrigerator in your climate-controlled kitchen and you know, sit down at your air-conditioned dining room table, you should think about the farm workers that are right now out there in you know, these brutal temperatures, and they truly are 
the front lines acting as human shields against the violence of climate change. And, you know, think about that before you put that food in your mouth. Elizabeth Streiter, United Farm Workers. Is it of America or just United Farm Workers? United Farm Workers of America, but All UFW right. for short. All right. Thank you so kindly for having <laughs> Thank been you. on Politics and Right. Thanks so much for having me. I'm with Gan Galan, and I got it right. You did get it right. I did get it right. Anyhow, he has written a special comic book that he brought to explain, and I decided, why explain it to me? Explain it to the audience. Let's see what we're talking about here. This is a graphic novel called One Six. Right. And it is about the January 6th insurrection. Right. And it starts with a very provocative question of what would have happened had the insurrection succeeded. And so it places us right into the world that the insurrection was trying to create. Well, before you tell me that, why a comic book to do that? Good question. Um, we need to be reaching people in every way we possibly can. Right. Uh, our democracy is in crisis. We need to step up to defend it. Um, you know, I think the journalism has been really great on this issue about the insurrection. You know, the January 6th committee report, fantastic. It's an 850 page stack of white paper that nobody's going to read. Nobody's going to read. So right. we need to be reaching people where they're at. We need to speak the language of of everyone. And pop culture is a crucial way to do that. Right. So we decided to take this important story and put it in a comic book form and tell it in a way that's really going to grab people emotionally and ask the big questions about where we're at right now and what are we going to do about it. I want to tell you straight up, I like that because one of the problems we have, especially in a progressive space, is that we don't go to where people are. We ask people to, no, no we don't ask. We dictate that people come many a times to where we are. Yeah, yeah. And I think it makes a difference that somebody is willing to Okay, I'm going to go ahead and make a comic that that that's pop culture mm -hmm. style and bring it to the folks. Tell me a little bit about it. Okay, so this this comic is called One Six. It's about the uh, the insurrection, and it really starts us off after the insurrection has right. already succeeded. So we're starting to see the world that the call them the the uh, the extreme right now, the mainstream right, right. The, Christian nationalist movement, the patriot movement, the MAGA movement, whatever you want to call it, this movement is really trying to bring to this country right now um, and how they tried to steal the last election through the right. insurrection. Um, it is the first issue of four issues. I don't want to give too much away, right. but let's just say this is going to be part speculative fiction where we talk about the what if of what could have happened. Right. And then the rest is documentary. We're actually going to take people through the events of 1-6 in a way they've never seen before, not in narrative form. And we're going to show people mm -hmm. on that crazy, confusing day what they actually tried to do. We had a team at Harvard checking every line, every panel of the comic book to make sure it's factually backed up. Right. And so this is going to be a very solid... Uh, journey for for readers to learn what happened on January 6th and also learn what the future might still have in store for us that we need to be organizing to prevent. Now you said the book starts after 1-6. Correct. After 1-6. After uh, now let me just tell you that as it turns out, tell us how they can get it. Okay, you can go to 16comics.com, that's O-N-E-S-I-X, comics, plural, dot com, and you can get, a, you can order a copy, of course, on Amazon and other venues. Uh, for nonprofits that want to um, engage their audience around this issue, we're trying to make as many free copies as we can available. So if people are working in democracy defense, 
uh, protecting elections right. or educating people about the danger of this uh, uh, in increasing fascist movement in our country, mm -hmm. um, we can find a way to get you copies. So come visit us at 16comics.com. You can also find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And at our booth here at um, Netroots, we have a Mar-a-Lago top secret file storage selfie station. So if you want to take a little visit to uh, a very classy bathroom in Mar-a-Lago, you can come to our booth and check it out. Thank you so kindly for being on Politics Thank you so right. much. Thank you so much. All right. All Thank right. you, buddy. Yeah. Today, I'm honored to be with Will Easton. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Roberto. Let me tell you something, Will. I learned so much from a, a, a piece that you did recently. I don't remember if it was a webinar or what that you put together. But what I did learn is that my email, the way I handle my email list, was completely and entirely wrong. Oh, no. You know, and I, I learned quite a bit about it. So, first of all, tell me about what is it that you do to, to inform folks about what's best for their email. In that, you made mention that your email list is more valuable than anything and should be maintained because again, websites are great, uh, your, your uh, Facebook, Instagram, all of that is great, but the thing that you own is your list. That's right. So this was uh, what you saw was a seminar that I did ahead of time for uh -huh. Netroots Nation. We do a lot of trainings. We had right. so many this year, we had to pack some in ahead of time. Right. So I was one of those. Um, I love teaching about email strategy because, as you mentioned, the relationship that you as a nonprofit organization mm -hmm. or a blogger, a podcaster, uh, or a political campaign, that relationship you have over email with your community of supporters is something very special. Uh, it can go both ways. You can raise a lot of money with it. Uh, mm -hmm. Ask a senator from Vermont about that. Right. Senator Sanders, whose campaign I worked on 2016. The, uh, it, it, and it's a two-way channel. You can be, if you pay attention, you can get value, valuable feedback coming back at you. And with a decent sized list, you can raise some very good money these days. Well, it's so. amazing that you actually worked for uh, Bernie Sanders because that was a, one of the most successful, if not still the most successful email campaign ever had. So kudos on to you, buddy. Thank you. And one of the key things we did there, I, I like to teach about this, is that we it wasn't just all fundraising, mm -hmm. right? So we were sending out two, sometimes three fundraising messages a day. That's the reality of a presidential campaign, right? right? But in the middle of the day, we would always work in something that was another way for our supporters to get involved, whether it was phone banking mm -hmm. or canvassing or going to a rally or maybe sometimes signing a petition, that kind of thing. So it wasn't just a constant drumbeat of give us money, give us money, give us money. We like to offer other ways for our supporters to engage with the campaign and turn out to real world events mm -hmm. such that, you know, there's things happening in the real world, not just begging for money. Now, you know, I, I want people to find you however they can to, to to get these courses. But I can tell you, that, like I said before, I did all things wrong. Why don't you give us a little snippet of things that people should take into account when they have a mail list? Give us a little sort of a drumbeat of what they must know. Sure. So I'd say the a few things to make sure you are doing and a couple to make sure you aren't doing. Right. The things you want to be doing is getting good content out, engaging content regularly, mm -hmm. whether that's uh, twice a week or once a day or maybe only twice a month. Depends mm -hmm. on your organization and your programs. But when you have something good to say, go ahead and get an email about mm -hmm. it, right, uh, out about it. If uh, the one big thing not to do is please never ever, and this is what's gone so wrong in political fundraising right. these days, 
never send people uh, email to people who didn't agree to receive it. Right. Uh, my uh, all of my inboxes are pretty much dumpster fires these days because right. of politicians asking for money. Right. And it's some dog catcher in Wyoming. You I don't, don't live in Wyoming. Right. Yeah, How did so he get your name? Yeah. I don't know. Well, it was bought and sold mm-hmm. and traded on a market that's out there, unfortunately, right. these days. And I think it's it's really it's the strip mining of the Democratic fundraising ecosystem. Right. Uh, bottom trawling and right. just killing off nonprofits that are doing it right. right. It's, it's sad to see. What else is there? So uh, another good thing you want to be doing is uh, working with a good ISP or email service provider that's going to let you do some targeting uh, based on zip codes or things like that. So I live in Ohio. Uh, Stop inviting me to your events in San Francisco. I haven't lived there for 15 years. You have my zip code. So you must segment your list. Yeah, generally so. A lot of things you will want to send to the entire list. Mm -hmm. But also another thing not to do, if I just gave you a donation yesterday, don't ask me for more money so today. No I can what was successful and and t- target you right, right, and make or sure retarget that, that audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So no, you, um, you said something that was interesting that it kind of you know you, you made me change my email sort of right away, and that was uh, be careful with how much graphics you put in it or how big the graphics is. That sort of a thing. Right, right, right. So there's good occasions to use a graphics. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, if you're a, a, a pet adoption right. uh, agency, cute puppies, cute kittens, right. those are people like that. Or if there's a situation that happened on the ground, we're um, with an organization called TakeItBack.org uh, and Summit Campaign Strategies. We're working on a uh, uh, constitutional initiative to codify Roe versus Wade into the South Dakota state mm-hmm. constitution. They have been harassed a lot, the petitioners trying to get this on the ballot. And a lot of times these are uh, young women getting harassed by these anti-choice zealots. So we've taken some pictures mm-hmm. of the of that harassment of right. the harassers and gotten those into emails. Those have been pretty so effective. So that is, that is when it's effective to uh, use. Yes, occasionally they can be effective. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, a highly designed, uh, packaged, slick looking email, you've wasted your time. Um, really? Yeah. Grab big graphics, take time to download. Uh, you certainly want your organization's logo in there for right. branding purposes. But beyond that, you should have a really have a compelling reason for every time you're adding a, an image into an email. And I imagine you know that because you've actually tested them. Yes, with the you can A-B test lots of different things. And I've never had an image, rarely had mm-hmm. an image improve the performance of an email. And most of the time it's going to depress. Oh, so uh, you've actually found the converse that it actually, it's 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 sort of hideous. That, you know, you, you spent all this time to make it look pretty. Yeah. And it turns out that the fact that you did that but you wasted your time. Ouch. And if you look at every good uh, progressive email program out there, mm-hmm. move on. Uh, Credo, not so much anymore, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, good campaigns. Logo and the message. Um, yeah. That's it. And they've tested into those into that format by doing exactly what we were just talking about. Well, you know, in our progressive movement, I think it is imperative that, I mean, people learn a lot of what... Uh, like, like I said, what you pointed out, I, I think it was a live video that you were doing for Netroots that I saw. Yeah. And I think people need to learn that wholeheartedly because that's the only way we're going to make a difference if people are reading what we're sending. I mean, right. if we're sending stuff and nobody's looking at it, it makes absolutely no sense. So we need to make sure progressives that are out there listen to Will Easton. Will, how can you tell these folks 
where they can learn about email lists, whether it's through you or through a website or whatever. What can you tell them? Right, right, right. So I'm doing another training today. If you're here at Netroots, uh, I'll be up in the Wilford B room at 2.30, mm -hmm. essentially the same right. online training, but in person. Right. Um, a good organization to follow for this stuff is New Media Mentors, uh -huh. which is affiliated with Netroots Nation. That's our, our training institute right. uh, uh -huh. that Alon 11 runs. And uh, there are a few other good sources. There's an email summit, uh, summit coming up. Uh, with uh, Brad Caldana. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, can't pull that out of the top of my head. But folks can get in touch with me. Um, well, that, that's, you know, I, I'm, as I'm asking you that, I'm saying, why is Will Easton being so damn modest? Because I'm, I'm saying... We need to, uh, I learned what I learned from what you had in that group. I want folks to uh, contact you. How can they contact you to really? Uh... Uh, the best way is probably my Netroots Nation address, which is volunteers at netrootsnation.org. There uh, you go. close attention to that this week. And, and, uh, well, yeah. I hope more than a week because this is going to be shown throughout, uh, throughout this year. Okay, great. Yeah. So I volunteers I at netrootsnation.org. Don't forget, volunteers at netrootsnation.org. Check out Will. I can tell you. He's making sure I haven't done all the changes that I've learned from this guy on my mailing list yet. But in the up, when I get some time, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be changing it because that was some damn good information to make me a better, if a more effective email communicator. Thank you. And I hope we as progressives get better at this stuff, too, yes. because the media environment, mm -hmm. uh, despite heroic efforts like yours, it, the media environment is still very corporate dominated. Yes, Hard for yes. progressives to get the email, get their message through. But with a good email program, you can be in millions of email boxes, uh, email boxes very quickly with a good message. And let's make the most of that opportunity. Will Easton, thank you so kindly for being on Politics Done Right. Absolutely love your that, show. Thank you, brother. And the most important thing is for the information, because I, like I telling you, that is all we got with all these major corporations taking over Facebook, yep. Share, and all these other things. We need what you said is real. That is the only thing you control. Your That's mail right. list. That's right. Thank you, brother. All right. Thanks, all right. Berta. I'm here with Cheyenne Deshakar with Unified. Sean, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing just fine. I tell you what, I spoke to one of the folks at Unified last year and give us a little update as far as what is Unified, first of all? What is it? What services do you all offer? Yeah, so we're a social network for organizing and activism. Mm -hmm. So we provide a full social media experience mm -hmm. with a full organizing toolkit built in. It allows organizers, we think for the first time, to truly scale organizing action-driven communities. Now, you know, that word scale and all of that sounds good to you, me, and everybody sure, that, in the technical field. Yeah. What exactly does it mean? So it means that when we're trying to bring about real change, uh -huh. build real movements, the best way to do that is with real communities. Right. The problem is that to build communities that can affect change across our entire country right. is really hard. Community organizers are very good at doing that within their neighborhood, like maybe say up to 100 people right. at most. It gets really hard after that. How can we build the kind of movements that require a million people, 10 million people? That's what we're trying to solve at Unified. And, and how, what's your approach? Is it a, the different types of relational databases, scoring? How do you do that? Um, it's a lot more fundamental than that. It's really using tools to allow folks to build communities easily and quickly and manage those communities. Mm -hmm. So the reason we've built a social media platform for doing that mm -hmm. versus some of the other tools you see out there right. 
is because for better or worse, social media is very good right. at building communities. We've seen that happen in other areas like entertainment, music, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen it really applied to organizing, which is kind of ironic if you mm -hmm. think about it because that's what organizing is all about. Right. Um, but the other social media tools aren't really designed for the kind of community building that organizers need, that real, like, like actual substantive right. communities. We're building tools into that where they're based on like taking action and actually accomplishing something. Right. And then connecting with the people that are doing that, not just with the leadership, but for the other folks in that community as well. Mm -hmm. Bridging those gaps so that people feel like they belong with each other. Now, let me ask you this, because right now we have Facebook, we also now have Threads, yeah. we have uh, we have a, a Instagram and TikTok and all these different platforms. I've been hoping that at some point we can integrate these guys in such a manner that when I'm doing certain things that are more applicable to Facebook, it's done that way, but I can still interact with Twitter, etc. Is your platform, which is yet another type of a social media thing, able to integrate in, in, a, in a seamless fashion so that somebody who is used to, let's say, an Instagram, used to a TikTok, used to a Facebook, can somehow lateral themselves yeah, over what you're doing. Definitely. In fact, that's actually one of the core sort of technical things we're doing that I think is really interesting. A lot of other tools in the organizing space are very within themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do the thing there, right. only there. Right. What we're doing is the actions that you can embed in your unified posts uh -huh. are just like videos or TikToks you can embed on the web anywhere, mm -hmm. right? So. Just like you know, you can like put a tweet into like an article on a web page. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to take that same unified content, those actions, mm -hmm. and embed that, share it anywhere on the web. Right. So anyone out there could, you could put it on Twitter, right? right. Say, here's my unified action. You can put that in your tweet. Someone can see that action, and then if they want to do something further, they can go into Unified and do that. So they'll click on on wherever it is. It brings them to the Unify tool, which yeah. is another uh, cloud application. It's just another social media platform. So again, right. just like you would, you could post a link to a tweet on Facebook, right? Or you can post an Instagram photo on you can, Twitter. You can, do you can post a unified action anywhere right. you want, and then it goes in, right. and then it jumps on. It's the it's web platform. content, right? It's, right? it's internet content. So just like we share content everywhere, right? The difference here is that this is now an action that's right. content, not just a passive consumption of media. So give me a give me a workflow. I I I get onto your. I am a I'm a I'm a single activist, right? Or does it mean for is it start with single activists or is it assuming a bigger bigger? It's both. So if you want to be a single activist in your neighborhood that want to do something, you can jump in there right there and do that. Right. But if you're a big organization, you can have an organizational account and do things in a more structured way too. Okay, so I jump in as a sing, uh, as a as an activist. Over here, there's a lot of folks that work singly. Yeah. So I, I do something and uh, I, I sign up with your, your platform. How do I get started? Just like any other social media app, you just download the app, Unified for Progress. So it's a mobile app? It is a mobile app, yeah. Is it also desktop app? Or Not yet. We're right. still early, but it will become one of them. Okay, so I download the mobile app, I, I fire it up, I log in, etc. And what do I see? You'll see a social media feed of other organizers and activists doing interesting things. Uh -huh. You can engage with what they're doing, take action on behalf of them. Mm -hmm. Or you can create your own posts, your own actions 
and share that with your followers. Okay. So again, just like other platforms where you build an audience and people can engage in your content, you do that here. Mm -hmm. The difference being that when people engage with your content, they're actually taking action to affect change. And now, what specific are these actions that, that, that you can... So today, we have contact representatives as an action. So you can basically petition elected officials. Right. We also have a voter registration action. Um, but in the near future, we'll have things like events, uh, get out the votes, messaging friends with specific topics. We'll have survey and polling. So really anything that an organizer would want to have done, mm -hmm. there'll be a version of that on Unified that can be shared socially. And are you going to be, let's say, uh, have things like precinct uh, granularity and all those types of... Yeah, in fact, that's actually kind of already there. So when you go into Unified, you can put your address into Unified and it will tell you who all your reps are down to, in many cases, the city or that uh -huh. kind of level. Oh, nice. So in closing, give me give me why, first of all, how can people become members of the Unified platform? And, you know, give me a little closer. Yeah, so we're in alpha right now, so we're testing with select users. The best way to become part of that program and get early access to it is go to our website mm -hmm. at joinunified.us. Right. Just put in your email. We'll reach out to you and get you on the platform. Let's say that again, because I didn't know if you said join Unify or join Unified. Join Unified. Joinunified.com. .us. Joinunified.us. That's right. Yeah. And that's how they get onto the platform. They sign up and they can get running and start. Exactly. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you so thank kindly you. for All talking right, about for Unified. Me. And uh, I tell you something, right? I think we need all the tools that we can get, but specifically they're integrated. And your integration sound like something we Absolutely. I think Unify can be kind of the central community hub for all organizing right. activism. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. All right. I want to thank PDR Posse member Michael Rudnan for this one. I think it's important because what it does is it goes ahead and it puts to rest the idea that somehow these conservative judges on the Supreme Court can, with their, their, their sense of textualism, their sense of conservatism, their sense of reading the letter of the law out of the Constitution, whether it's valid or not. They claim that is the reasons they change things like um, uh, overturning the abortion law in the, in the Dobbs decision because why again? The Constitution never really gave that right. Uh, they are textualists. They are going to believe in what the Constitution said. Well, now that the Supreme Court has a, or rather now that the Constitution, that 14th Amendment in the Constitution, will they honor it? Will they honor it? You know, so they said, well, maybe it doesn't apply to the president. Hogwash. When it was established in the 1800s, they had that distinct discussion, office, uh, an office of the United States government. The presidency is one of those offices. Check this out. Take it on the other side. Multiple lower courts have already ruled that Trump himself did personally engage in insurrection. But a core question at issue here is for whom this insurrection clause was really intended. Which offices count? Which officers count? Was it intended for presidents and presidential candidates, or are they somehow exempted? Now, the Colorado Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, goes a long way towards resolving what the authors of this amendment were thinking about when they wrote this, whether they specifically intended this amendment, this Section 3 of this amendment, as a guardrail against presidents and potential presidents who engaged in insurrection. The state Supreme Court did some very, very deep research to make the case that, yes, this sure does apply to presidents and presidential candidates.
And to that end, among the best and deepest cuts cited in this ruling is this one. It is a conversation between two senators in the year 1866 as they were literally writing the 14th Amendment. Senator Reverdy Johnson worried that the final version of Section 3 did not include the office of the presidency. He stated, this amendment does not go far enough because past rebels may be elected president or vice president of the United States. So he asked, why did you omit to exclude them? I do not understand them to be excluded from the privilege of holding the two highest offices in the gift of the nation. Senator Lott Morrill fielded this objection. He replied, let me call the senator's attention to the words, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. This answer satisfied Senator Johnson, who stated, hmm, perhaps I am wrong as to the exclusion from the presidency. No doubt, I am. The senators who literally wrote the 14th Amendment specifically meant for it to apply to the presidency. It does not get any more originalist than that, my friends, and that is exactly the point here. Adam Serwer argues in The Atlantic today that this ruling from the Colorado State Supreme Court is going to put the court's conservatives between a rock and a hard place. The court's conservative justices often justify their decisions through the legal philosophy of originalism, or trying to interpret what the founders meant when they wrote the Constitution. Sower writes that this Colorado Supreme Court ruling is calling the bluff of the U.S. Supreme Court's originalists, forcing its conservative justices to choose between their purported legal philosophy and the partisan interests of the party with which they identify. So it would seem. Now, Trump has until January 4th to appeal the Colorado State Supreme Court decision, and his campaign says it plans to. And when that happens, it will put the issue on hold until the Supreme Court makes its decision, meaning Trump will likely be on the Colorado Republican primary ballot, but whether he appears on the general election ballot in Colorado and potential, potentially in any other states that could follow Colorado's lead, all of that will rest once again in the hands of the Supreme Court. It's clear, folks. It is clear. From a constitutional point of view, Donald Trump must be removed from the possibility of ever being president of the United States again. Folks may say some people will get upset. That may be the truth. But did we get upset when Donald Trump won with less than a popular vote? Yes, we did. But we didn't go ahead and destroy the nation. We followed the Constitution. Did we get upset when Al Gore lost to Bush with the electoral college, even as he won the popular vote? Yes, we were upset. But again, we followed the Constitution and we should this time again. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. 
Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right.